In order to get the best return on investment and achieve our property investment goals, we're told to invest in the right suburbs so that over the long term, they're going to outperform other suburbs and you're going to end up you know, so much richer than if you purchased in the wrong suburb. But what I'm starting to see working with Jeremy Shepard from Select Residential Property is that a lot of suburbs in general tend to perform very similar over the long term. That yes, in the short term, there can be big disparities between suburbs and there can be value in you know picking your suburbs for the short term. But when you start stretching it out to 20, 30, 40 years, a lot of these suburbs, especially if you're choosing suburbs with good fundamentals, tend to perform extremely similar. So I guess this is kind of looking at short-term versus long-term investing. And Jeremy's got a great metaphor and analogy that can help us understand this, which is the concept of purchasing apples and oranges. So do you want to lead us into that, Jeremy? Sure. Thanks, Thanks, Ryan. Uh, Thanks for having me on your show. No worries. All right, let's say you walk into a fruit shop 100 years ago and there's a crate of apples and there's a crate of oranges. Now, assume that the apples were one cent each and the oranges were two cents each. If the apples grew at a rate of 4% per annum, whilst the oranges grew at a rate of 8% per annum, then after 100 years, an apple would cost you 50 cents and an orange would cost you $44. Okay, so imagine in the beginning, did oranges start out at two cents, did you say? Yes, oranges were were two cents. So in the beginning, oranges were worth twice as much as apples. And then in the end, after 100 years, if they continue to have this disparity in their growth of 4% for apples versus 8% for oranges, in 100 years' time, the oranges are now worth 88 times more than the apples. But why, why doesn't this happen? Okay, well, imagine walking into a fruit shop right now and you've got uh, a hankering for some fruit. You're looking at apples, fifty cents each, or oranges, forty-four dollars each. You yeah. just, you'd have to be mad keen on oranges to spend forty-four bucks <laughs> on one, right? So that I would think most reduce- people wouldn't spend forty-four dollars on oranges. I don't know if you remember years ago when um, there was the banana shortage. Banana, yeah. three dollars for a banana. I remember going months without a banana and then going in and just buying one banana. <laughs> yeah well i guess yeah it all comes down to supply and demand doesn't it Well, that's it i guess during that time period i bought way less bananas than i would buy now when they're really cheap and so Mm. i guess a lot of people would do the same thing which is you're saying you know at some point along this journey oranges get so ridiculously expensive that no one's going to buy them that's right yeah and so they look for an alternative And that, of course, subdues the demand for oranges, reducing their growth rate and increases the demand for the alternatives, which could be apples. And so what you find is that eventually um, things balance out. Apples and oranges grow at the same same rate. It's still an apple. It's still an orange. Nothing's changed. They're still as equally desirable. If perhaps someone... Uh, Well, I'm just going to stretch out this analogy a bit because... You know, we might go through a period where there's, you know, some, let's say there's a social media trend about oranges, you know, so everyone's going out and buying oranges. They're super popular. Oh my God, there's an orange shortage because everyone's on TikTok or Instagram um, with their oranges. Um, they grow up in value out, out, outpacing apples, but then eventually they grow to the point where, you know, people are like, okay, um, yeah, this is I'm crazy. I'm not willing to spend I'm this not- much for an orange. So, 
Or and then and then apples might have a trend and then they might grow faster than oranges at some point as well. But eventually over the long term, they'll kind of end up similar at a rate to, you know, if apples end up at 50 cents, oranges might end up at a dollar. You still got that two exactly. to one ratio yeah. over time. Yeah. And then bringing this back to property, which is what this is all about, is that properties that start more expensive, maybe they were just always more expensive. And in the future, they'll mm. still be more expensive compared to cheaper ones, but that ratio will still sort of be the same. That's right, yeah. And over the long term, that's that's what we see happening. And there's a, a couple of charts that I can show you about that. Um, so this chart here uh, is a, it's a chart showing the probability you've got of getting a particular uh, capital growth rate over a one-year period. So yep. the tallest bar that you see in the middle there that is the, the sum of or the percentage of all properties, property markets around Australia over the last 30 years that in any one-year period had capital growth between 0 and 5%. So the vast majority have, you can see with those three or four tallest bars, somewhere between minus 5 and 15%. Now, there's a chance if you just randomly choose any property market, that on the far left, you could have had minus 20 to minus 15% capital growth, but it's unlikely. That's the lowest probability. Go over to the far right, and you can see that there's a slim chance you could have had 25 to 30% capital growth. Yeah, so that's a striking gold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. But it's only over one year. Now, I did the same thing, but using a two-year capital growth uh, period. And you can see that the the chart is a little bit narrower. The ones, the tall bars are are dominating more so, and there's even less chance of you having minus 20% per annum capital growth over two of those annums. And here it is for four years, and you can see now a trend starting to emerge. Uh, It becomes clearer after eight years. There's very little chance of you having extremely high, that is above average capital growth over an eight-year period. And when we go to 16 years, <laughs> it's 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 uh, really what we're saying is that over a period of time, uh, time is the great leveler of capital growth. Everything just starts to, to have roughly the same capital growth rate. Now, you'll always find outliers. You can see there's a little slither of hope that over an incredible 16-year period, there has been a property market that has had uh, somewhere between 25 and 30% capital growth per annum over 16 years, which is phenomenal. But your chances of picking that, I mean, that is absolute outlier territory. Yeah. The What you can expect over 16 years, and I didn't show a chart for 32 years because uh, it's really quite boring. Did I ch- show a chart? No, I didn't for 32 years. It's really just a single column and there's nothing. I feel like else. you should have shown that chart because it would just emphasize <laughs> the point even more that at the 32-year mark, everyone just kind of comes together and the growth rate uh, is extremely similar. Yeah. So so this is just highlighting that uh, th- there's this concept that the longer the growth period, the more likely it is that you're going to have the same capital growth as the next investor, regardless yeah. of which suburb you you invest in. So uh, if you've got time on your side, you know, you're a young investor, the, the key is to just get in early, but you're not going to really uh, outperform. So you don't have to get this analysis paralysis. Um, it's it's more a case of any, many, miny, mo. Yeah. 
Well, like you and I have been talking about, we know people in our lives or clients that, you know, have been ready to invest, but they've ummed and ahed about maybe it's market timing, maybe it's the suburb, they're just not sure, they're not ready to kind of pull the trigger. And I feel like then they just miss out on a whole bunch of growth over a certain year period. And especially if you look at, you know, the long term, even if they pick the wrong market in the beginning, over the long term, chances are that it's all going to converge together anyway and work mm-hmm. out. So I, I see this as both a positive and a negative because if you're just looking to you know build a property portfolio over the long term, get good growth, you know maybe build financial freedom through your portfolio, it's like, okay, this kind of like eases the tension in me that I have to pick the best suburb, otherwise I'm screwed. So it eases that because you know the chance of me getting above average growth is so slim. It's like, as long as I can land in the middle, I'm going to be successful and I'll be fine. Yeah. But then on the flip side of that, the chance of choosing a suburb that actually is going to outperform over the extremely long term is, you know, slim to none as well. So it's like, okay, (laughs) if I want to be an above average investor, it looks like it's going to be really difficult. So do we want to jump over to the article on you shouldn't focus on long-term to talk about your idea of like timing markets and then jumping between. Yeah, sure. Because Um, we don't have that ability because everything converges in the end. How can we get above average returns as an investor? Right. Okay. Well, uh, let me give you this uh, little challenge here. Uh, This is more for for listeners because I think you know the answer, Ryan. If we knew the performance over the next 25 years for two markets, market A in amber or orange or brown um, and market B in purple. Clearly, if we knew this was how their capital growth charts would look, we would buy in market B. But actually, the best investment option here is choosing um, market A. And that's because it has excellent capital growth over the next five years. And here's what you do. Yeah. After those five years, you would sell out of market A and with those sale proceeds, you would invest with more money in market B. And from then on, the investor who, who bought in market B at year zero can't, can't catch you because you've got the same capital growth as they've got, but you've just invested more dollars in that same market. Yep. The, the, the key here, of course, is do we know that over the next five years, there's going to be that striking difference between market A and market B so that we could capitalise on the fantastic performance of market A for five years, exit, and then buy into a different market which also has uh, fantastic capital growth from that point on. So if we can accurately forecast the time to enter and exit markets, then we can uh, outperform just holding over the long term. The trick, of course, is uh, how do you know how much growth a particular market is going to have over the short term. Well, that's it. It can be difficult to pick. And I guess that's the the silver bullet. Or That's what we're trying to work out here. Not necessarily the silver bullet, but looking at all the statistics. Looking at this graph, Jeremy, how come the green line drops below the orange line and isn't right. you know, lined up? Okay, good, good question. So there's a loss incurred in selling out of market A. You've got to pay capital gains tax. You've got to pay an agent their sales commission. And then when you purchase back in in market B with your sale proceeds, uh, you're going to pay more stamp duty. So there's a loss that you incur just moving your funds around. 
Yeah. Okay. So that yeah. makes sense for that. But that's the thing. I think choosing markets, the more that I study this, while I think it's it's very, very difficult to choose the exact bottom of the market, the exact top of the market and the perfect time to sell, it does over the long term, as you start to look at markets and you see markets that have gone up significantly in the last five years, you can start to say, okay, given our previous video that we did on how does past growth predict future growth, if an area hasn't grown a lot over the past, you know, 10 years, 15 years, it's more likely to grow over the next 15 years. And so it's combining all of these ideas and all of these data points into a strategy like this, where you can potentially accelerate your growth and get a above average return. Mm, yeah. And um, to highlight some of these these issues, uh, I'll, I'll just want to show you a couple of charts. So try and guess the period of time over which this this chart covers um it's it's sort of a rhetorical question uh, i mean you can see there there's the answer yeah, the answer's down the this bottom <laughs> yeah, over one year um uh, here's another one uh that is again only over a year and you can see that they're all radically different yeah all those growth profiles are radically different over a year now here's another chart and you can tell straight away just because of all the jagged edges, there are more data points. This is probably over a longer period, and it is. It's over five years. Um, here's another one over five years, and here's another one over five years. And as we increase the period that we're looking at, this is now 10 years, you can see a trend start to emerge that was very different from one year. One year, it was just all over the place. One year, you couldn't, so, yeah. No idea. Yeah, you, you couldn't pick like exactly. <laughs> it just all seemed yes. random over one year. And there's there's 25, there's another one, and another one. And so yeah. They all the look trend? like while they, they may not have the exact same growth curve, they all look like they started a very similar point and then ended a very similar point in terms of growth. That's right. So the further you back out, the further you zoom away and look at a longer period, the more these growth charts all start to look like this one. This is your stereotypical exponential, you know, this is this is compound growth. Yep. And that's what we see in property markets around the Western world for the last uh, few centuries where, where data has been collected. And that's what pretty much every property market is going to follow over the long term. And it's very hard to pick those uh, long-term outperformers. So I did some calculations that over 15 years, uh, you've got a chance uh, one in 44 markets will double the national average over a 15-year period. But okay. over five so that's years, what, period, like a 2 to 3% chance of picking that right market? Yeah, that's right. So it's, it's fairly slim if you're using a random method of picking a suburb. Yeah. If you also are using a random method of picking a suburb over a five-year period, you've actually got one in nine uh, chances of doubling the national growth rate. Okay. So your your chances increase uh, dramatically, outperforming by a significant margin over a shorter period of time. Over a longer period of time, you've got less chance uh, of outperforming. Yeah, and, and that's so this why, is just, yeah. this is just if you picked a suburb at random as well. So I would assume, as an active investor and someone that is looking into the data, understanding suburb research, while what we want to do is increase the chances, you know, from one in nine to much higher. Um, but I would assume that it's still going to be easier for us or myself as an investor to pick 
at the time and time a suburb that's going to do well over the next five years than it is to pick a suburb that's going to outperform or double the national average over the next 15 years. So that's like, right. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be easier and- for me to focus on, okay, where do I think it's going to do better over the next five years versus trying to pick, okay, where do I think it's going to grow better over the next 15? And then I guess it I could is, do that. Yeah. And if I do get it correct, sell out at five years and then try and repeat the process three times over 15 years. Mm, yeah. And there's there's more than just probability that's working for you in that strategy. When, we, when I've tried to uh, find how do you discover outperformers over the long term? And the problem with this is I've looked at 30-year-old data and there's not a lot there. Even 20 years ago, there's there's no auction clearance rates. There's no there's no yields. There's really nothing to look at. In the, the internet age, the data age has really only been around for you know the last decade. So we don't have the, the historical data we need in order to analyze and say, I can pick an outperformer over 30 years. I I, I don't know. In fact, there's only three things. Don't buy a new property. Don't buy near loads of vacant land, which can be developed and create oversupply, and and buy a house rather than a unit. Those are the only three things over the long term that I've found any data to support. But over the short term, you've got auction clearance rates, you've got selling times, you've got discounting, uh, you've got all these novel sort of metrics like ripple effect potential, neighbour price balancing, market (laughs) cycle timing. There are loads and loads of metrics that we can look at. So our chances of outperforming over the short term are not just based on the probability, but based on the availability of data. And there's just so much more now that that this isn't getting so hard to do to actually trade property. So anyone that's saying that they know how to pick properties that are going to outperform over the next 30 years, they actually don't have any data to back that up. Yeah, I, I you know, Probably I, I can't assess, I can't assess someone on being a, a helicopter pilot um, if if they've never flown a helicopter ever before, not even once. So what were you doing 30 years ago? What property markets were you picking? Were you were you picking your nose? A lot of these so-called experts who say, who claim to to pick these long-term outperformers, well, you know, show me what you were picking as long as it wasn't what came out of your nose thirty years ago, and and I'll see. Are you are you really an expert? So there's a lot of talk out there, yeah. uh, and people will refer to the data, but 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 I'm referring to the data right now, and there's nothing in it to say um, that you've got a good chance. Uh, but someone could argue the case. Well, I know it's difficult, Jeremy, but I can do it. Well, okay, just just show me what you've done. Anyway, it's it, well. That's the thing, and then we've got to wait thirty years to see if they're right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's why I'm asking for something that they picked thirty years ago. But yeah. there's, there's another another bit of uh, statistics that I want to show you. Oh, well, this is this is a good little infographic here. Um, there can be a radical difference in two property markets over the course of just five years, but. Over 20 years, it's going to be less than than radical. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, a significant difference which justifies the expense of selling a property, paying capital gains tax, buying another one, spending on stamp duty, um, because the opportunity cost over that period of time is going to be uh, so significant. So that... That's what we're talking about. It's a, it's a radical difference, not a marginal difference. Yeah. Well, the marginal, going back to that one, marginal over time, like if we, the radical one, if we look at, you know, when Perth had its boom and it outperformed, you know, Sydney and Melbourne, mm. it did amazingly for a bunch of years. 
And then we know over the last five years, it's actually gone backwards, whereas yeah. Sydney and Melbourne had their run-ups leading up to, I think, mid-2017, whereas Brisbane kind of laid flat. And then I'm kind of thinking, okay, it's, it's Brisbane's turn. We're going to need another five years to see if that's actually the case. But along mm. these paths, you've got all of these different cities that are performing radically different to each other. Sydney and Melbourne performed radically different to Perth leading up to, you know, 2012 to 2017, massive different performance. But then mm. you spread it out over the long term and you don't get that massive difference. Yeah, so. that's right. Yeah. I mean, I I read somewhere where someone was, was, was saying that um, over the last 20 years, Launceston, one of the oldest cities in, in the country, has outperformed Sydney, one of the biggest cities in or the biggest city in the country. But if you go back um, only over the last 10 years, well, it's Sydney that's outperformed Launceston. But if you go back 30 years, it's again, it's Sydney that's outperformed Launceston. But over 20, so it depends where you put the start and end. Yeah, there's uh, places. But yeah, so long term, they're, they're trading places. They all uh, are approaching the same sort of sort of growth rate. But over the short period of time, uh, then then you could see a significant difference. Yeah, well, I think we're going to leave this one there because I think the concept is that over the long term, things are going to perform mostly the same. You know, you want to have strong mm. fundamentals in your property, but over the long term, you know, it's almost like stress less. Like if you're investing for the extremely long term, you buy something good enough, chances are you're going to be in that main batch that gets the same sort of capital growth. Yeah. And if yeah, you want so to get above less, average, yeah. If you want to get above average returns, then looking at a shorter time period, like five years, and then getting that radical difference and then selling and moving into different markets um, could be the way to get higher than average returns. Mm. Yeah, yeah, spot on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, for me going into property, it's cool because, well, I guess now it just comes down to how do we pick those markets that are going to perform better? And that's what the, this whole series is about is looking at the data points that's actually going to help us pick these markets and also ignoring the data points that aren't going to help these markets mm. because pick these markets, which I think is just as important. We just did a video on amenities and how it affects capital growth, being close to good schools, good shops, train stations, and public transport. We're told that, yes, this is going to increase the capital growth. You've shown me data, Jeremy, that says, no, it doesn't. And so, so many people are focusing and spending their energy on that, where really they should be focusing on other things. So in a future video, we're going to talk about, okay, what things should we actually be looking at in order to find a potential high growth suburb? So go ahead, check out our previous videos that we've done on this. And I'm really looking forward to that future one with you, Jeremy. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing this. Thanks for having me. Um, so you guys can go and check out the articles that we've talked about today. I'll leave them links in the description down below or go to selectresidentialproperty.com.au and you can see all of Jeremy's educational content over there as well as links to resources and tools that can help you do some of this research yourself. So go ahead, check that out and until next time, stay positive.